Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm so excited to be here for the launch of season five of the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. In 2015, I founded the queer improv show, Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have our storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am so thrilled to have our guest with me here today. I just, I just, I'm, I'm bursting. So Brian Derek Hehem is a political strategist, influencer, and tech founder. He has built a large following on social media with his digestible breakdowns of political news and electoral. I meant to ask you if that's how you say that. Electoral? Yes. Yep. Campaign politics. He is also the founder and CEO of Oath, a free political advising platform that helps people maximize their impact in state and local elections. Brian, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here. And um, I don't know if you remember, do you remember how we met? Because I remember how we met. The first time Mm -hmm. was at a show and it was in the East Village. Um, well, I don't actually know if that was the first time, but I was thinking of when, when we did a fundraiser for Lambda Legal. Is oh, that yeah. Your... yeah. 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 Sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot in that oh, no, kind of major I think... way, but. <laughs> totally. It was, I, I was thinking of the, um, the wrench. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, uh, oh. improv show, something, some kind of wrench in the, in the East Village. I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, there's, you know, there's a whole chunk of my life where I don't remember it. So there's a very possible that I that it was there but I we met in 2017 because at the time you were working at Lambda Legal and we did thank you for coming out did a fundraiser for your organization or for that organization absolutely still an organization very near and dear to me though I no longer work there um, they were doing incredible work fighting against all of the anti-LGBT stuff being put out by the Trump administration suing over executive orders and um, all, all kinds of really great work happening there uh, to this day as well yeah, yeah. Um, and the other, I don't know if I don't know if you know or remember this, but we're both Buckeyes. I do. Okay, great. Absolutely. <laughs> Always. Just oh, very important. I O. And I, I wore this t-shirt in your honor. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I should have I should have gotten my uh my Buckeye apparel out from the the depths of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I have enough for the both of us. Okay, perfect. Um <laughs> so and for those of you who actually all of you did not see, I'm wearing a shirt that says the Ohio State University. Um with an emphasis on the. <laughs> um okay, Brian. So we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories. Um and so I invite you to share one of those that you want us to learn about you. I appreciate that. Um I haven't told my coming out story in a long time and rather than keep it really boxed in, I figured I would do a little bit of exploring here with you um, to see what we can dig up. Um, I think the thing about my personal coming out that tends to strike particularly uh, straight people when, when I have had conversations about it 
um, is specifically that I came out to myself at the same time that I came out to the rest of the world. I think um, a lot of people believe that all queer people know early on or, um, or, or at least that that is a very common experience that you hear about that you knew really early um, and you were waiting for your moment or to be ready to come out. And I definitely experienced it a little differently where I grew up in a religious community um, in Ohio, relatively small town, and had grown up in the Catholic church, but also with the knowledge that I was Jewish by my, uh, my, my mom's family. And so this interesting mix of, of religion um, in my household and that heavily influenced how I perceived not just myself and morality and life's purpose and some of the really big questions, but also influenced um, how I saw the LGBT community. And so from the school that I was attending, I was told really early on that being LGBT wasn't something that you were, it was something that you chose, that it was it was a, a set of actions that someone could choose, but should choose not to, right? That this was a very much a, a taboo thing that you should stay away from, like like a vice, like alcoholism or something. That's just how it was talked about around me. And so I didn't really accept that being LGBT was a part of, of who I was or who anyone was because um, I had bought into this idea that it was just a temptation to be um, pushed down or avoided. And so I struggled with that for a really long time. It led me to a very dark um, place because as I'm hope, hope hopefully... Uh, people listening to this know it is part of who you are um and and uh not only that but it's it's an important part of who you are and how you interact with the world and letting people see that is um critical to forming authentic and real relationships and so as i got older it became harder for me to connect with with people because I felt like I was dividing myself internally and walling off um, a whole section of myself. And so when I was 19, it all sort of came to a head and and it just was completely not sustainable anymore. And um, I had this, this breakthrough supported importantly by not only friends, but also some supportive mentors in my life. I was at Ohio State at the time and um, they really took an interest in my well-being. They were concerned about me. They took an interest and I had this awakening, this moment where I accepted at last that what I had been told over and over and over again was just wrong (laughs) and that it was part of who I was, that there was nothing wrong with that part of who I was. And that released this million pound weight from my shoulders all at once. And so I came out, I said, I'm gay for the very first time. Um, I know the exact day <laughs> that that happened. It's uh, very important to me. And then immediately after that, I just, I was telling everybody because I had no shame because I had been freed from that. Um, I finally 
understood myself as a holistic person. Uh, and I wanted other people to know that person as well. So I called my family and my friends uh, together and, and had lots of really um, loving, loving conversations. Still hard, still tough sometimes, but um, I felt pretty invincible at that point because I had already um, decided to to feel that love in, in myself. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, there's so many, there's so many pieces that are so relatable and resonate with me. And I think with a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, um, can I, can I ask you maybe like a clarifying question or something that I'm just trying to figure out, which is, so you said that you came out to yourself at the same time as the rest of the world. However, before that you were struggling. So there, there was a sense of, you knew who you were. You just, you just, Cause like how, like, how can you struggle with something that you weren't aware of, or is it you were aware of it, but you didn't want to admit it? Or can you help me like kind of parse that? Absolutely. So I was aware of my difference. Um, I was aware that I was having these feelings, right? I would, what I can now identify as I would have, have a, have a crush on a guy or start to develop feelings for a friend or, or something, um, that I did not know what to do with because I did not accept the uh, principle or the fact of LGBT identity. And so I thought that that is something that I would always just have to deal with. Mm. Um, and the more that I felt that and the more confused I got, the more I was pushing into religion um, for answers, which was... And I, I want to clarify and say I was I was not in a supportive religious environment. Um, and so I know that for some people that that does exist. But in the environment that I was in, it was uh, compounding the issue because the more I leaned in, the more I was being uh, the more these negative ideas were being reinforced that this was like uh, just a sin that I had to struggle with. Like this was the the struggle that God had chosen for me. And so this was what my life would be like. And I just needed to figure out how to manage it and push it down. Mm. Um, and so when I say I came out to myself at the same time as the world, that was accepting that LGBT people exist. Like that was my real coming out was to be like, oh, being gay is a thing. Like that is a real thing. It's not just a a vice or a temptation or a sin that um, that you struggle with, but it is uh, an identity that you can have and that it's a beautiful life that that can lead to. I got it. Thank you for, for, for explaining that. Um, are you, what is your relationship with religion now? I think that I've had to contend with the role that religion played in the war I felt within myself growing up and the pain that that caused me. And that has led me to do a lot of self-exploration. Um, I think that I ha am extremely open to a lot of different faiths, religious ideas, and spirituality in general. I think that's very millennial, right? A, a millennial way of thinking about it. Um, and I would say now my approach is more to look to what positives we can take out of um, a given religion and less about imposing 
um, judgments or rules um, of how we should perceive ourselves and others through the lens of religion. Um, I do still find a lot of comfort and um, utility in having conversations with uh, people of different faiths around uh, sort of the big questions and what that can lead to, but I'm definitely not um, practicing or observing a specific faith right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I know that religion, I mean, in, in the interviews that I've done and conversations that I've had, that religion can be the cause of a lot of pain for a lot of people. And I know so many people do take a break or step away from religion to reconcile, you know, what part of this religion is, you know, can I take parts of this religion? I think about this with Judaism. I'm Jewish too, all the time around, like, what are the parts that aren't oppressive? What are the parts that actually lift me up as a whole person and make me feel more complete? Otherwise, why am I wasting my time? And so I think that makes, that's really resonant. Agreed. Um, So some, so I, you know, I, I gush a little bit in the beginning of introducing you, but I want to gush a little bit more because um, I like to say like, I knew you when, which means like <laughs> I knew you six years ago and now you're like this like really big social media presence because what you do is you make the atrocities that are happening around this country that feel so overwhelmingly scary Um just like a little bit less scary like you you the way that you talk about it so it's like understandable it's in language that the common instagram follower you know can follow um and understand and then but i think the part that the the other two pieces that really resonate with me and then i'll and then i'm gonna tee you up with a question which is um just your the way that you break it down makes it easier to to understand which I already said that but I just want to reiterate but then the action the action pieces where I think so many I'll speak for myself but also I know that this is resonant for other people is it feels so overwhelming and so suffocating that it's hard to know where to put our attention where to put our donations how do we how do we help and what you do is you say here's here's what's happening and here's direct concrete things that you can do to help um, which is for me is like a self. It's like a relief to be like, okay, I, I know what I can do now. So first, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work. Honestly, I, I, I appreciate that. I'm bad at, I'm bad at taking compliments. I appreciate that very much. I am here to help. It is a team effort. Um, the only way that we can make progress on on any of these specific issues. And I'm sure we'll get into some of the scary things that are going on. And also like some of the really positive change that's happening too. The only way that any of that happens is when we work in um, coordination with each other. And that's all that I want to be. For people, I think everyone has a lot more power and a lot more options for how they can exercise that power than they think they do. And I want to highlight that. I just want to show the way that you can use that power in our democratic system to make change. So that's all, that's my goal when I wake up every day. Um, And it's incredible and inspiring to me to see people 
like really take up that mantle when they have that path forward and run with it. It's like a, we're, it feels like we're in an all hands on deck situation. And I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I don't even think this is a limb, even more so than when Trump was in office. Like it's just, it, 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 from what I, it just feels worse now than it did then. And it was terrible then. It was terrible then. And I think it does, especially for our community, it does feel yeah. worse now. At that point, it was really clear who and where the bad guys were. Mm-hmm. And uh, because they were running the federal government, right? And you could just look to headlines every day in the major uh, national media and see what what was going on. And now it's a lot more insidious because it feels like it's coming from every direction. It's a different state and a different policy and a different line of attack every day or every week. And that has um, the dual effect of being really exhausting because it just feels relentless and then also harder to mobilize against because it is different people that are leading those um those changes, those attacks, they are uh, different shades of the same color, which um, takes a little bit more nuance to uh, mobilize against and a lot more coordination. I'm I'm probably going to talk about coordination a lot because I think that it's really important that we're all talking and working together um, because that's the only way that we can win these fights. But it, it makes it more difficult when it's happening across 40 different states at the same time rather than in congress yeah and i think just lifting out the word coordinated their their attacks are coordinated like mm-hmm. there's so much coordination in all directions that it's like who's going to coordinate stronger more strategically etc um absolutely and I will always take the opportunity to pop off about the amount of dark money um, and extreme, extreme religious right leaders um, that are powering this entire anti-LGBT hysteria um, at the state level. There are organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom that are are pouring money into lawsuits attacking LGBT equality, um, reproductive rights, and, and beyond. And then there are organizations like ALEC that literally serve as legislation farms where they just um, write this legislation specifically for state legislators, hand it to them and have them go introduce it um, on on the floor of their legislative chambers in in their state houses. So it is um, illogical to think that suddenly in the year 2022, there happened to be this mass grassroots outrage about trans people existing or about drag queens or whatever specific issue you want to pick up on um, that's manufactured um, and legislators are being financially incentivized to whip up hysteria against our community. Makes my blood boil to say the very least. Um, But can, so let's, let's like, pause and zoom out a little bit because I get this question. I get this question a lot in trainings that I do and I see it on, on the, so on the social medias, I hate that on social media all the time. Um, Why, why is the trans community 
being targeted? Why is the LGBTQ community being targeted? Why are drag, why is drag performance being targeted? What is the why now? Why specifically trans and LGBTQ issues? Like what is it in service of? Specifically, it is in service of Republicans attaining and maintaining political power. Full stop. That is the end game for the people leading these fights and this movement is to hold on to power um, and having a, I'm going to use air quotes, which don't work on podcasts, a (laughs) common enemy um, for your team is a really easy and and ugly way to hold on to and and attain more power. Um, a quote came out literally this morning from a Republican um, strategist. I'll, I'd have to pull the name up, but um, which was talking about this issue. And he said, you know, after marriage equality, after opposing marriage equality failed, um, for the religious right, they've been looking for a new cause to rally around. Um, after uh, Obergefell, public opinion just wouldn't allow them to continue dragging on the anti-marriage equality fight. And so they needed a new boogeyman um, to direct anger and hate toward. And according to him, they were trying to, th- they were throwing everything at the wall to see what stuck. And trans people seemed to have been the thing that stuck. Um, and so it really is out of political expediency that they are now waging war on trans people across the United States, in particular, trans youth, students, kids, their access to, to healthcare, their ability to exist um, and attend school and access resources. And they are doing that because if they can keep their supporters afraid and angry, they're much easier to motivate in a specific direction. That direction being to vote for you because you're the one that's identified this scary issue of people, um, uh, of, of all the terrible things that they accuse the LGBT community of um, and that you're the, going to be the one to take them on. And so it's really just whipping up uh, money and votes for yourself and your allied organizations and dark money groups so that you can get elected to higher and higher office. Um, you can see the correlation in anti-trans, the extremity of anti-trans bills, especially in states where you have um, statewide representatives who are eyeing higher office or looking to run for president. It becomes a competition to see who can pass like the most restrictive, most aggressive bills. Um, and you see the same thing attacking um, healthcare and, and uh, reproductive rights as well. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis just signed a six-week abortion ban after having signed a 15-week abortion ban last year and being attacked for not being strict enough, not being restrictive enough. Um, And so this is really just about their own political ambition. It's a lot. It's, it's so much to take in and it's, it's, you know, it's hard to, I can't even articulate what I'm 
want want to articulate because it's it's just so fucked up and to use people's lives as for political gain is just it's the stuff that nightmares are made of it's like i like don't i can't watch anything on tv that isn't a comedy because it's like i don't need to see i don't need to watch (laughs) drama (laughs) like real life is dramatic enough that like absolutely it's so so scary it's scary and it's you know this is coming from i'm 38 years old 38 year old trans person living in new york city so i have the access i'm privileged enough to have the access to the healthcare, the gender affirming healthcare that i need to live my true life and self and the and I think there are some anti-LGBTQ bills. Maybe we're just introduced in New York state, but I feel like New York is not one of the like terrible aggressors. And this legislation still impacts my every minute of every day. And so I can't even begin to fathom how this is affecting. I mean, I, I hear it from friends and such across the country, but just, but especially youth who like maybe don't have the same tools or coping mechanisms or access and just seeing my government hates me. It's just awful. It is horrifying. Um, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that many of the worst times in human history have started with demonizing groups of people. Um, That is truly one of the most dangerous things you can do, I think, um, with power and with the trust that the public puts in you as an elected official to turn that into vitriol and direct it at uh, a community of people, especially a community that is as vulnerable as the trans community is in America in 2023, um, is just really unforgivable in my eyes. Yeah, it really is. I have I have a question that I don't I don't know that you have the answer to, but I just want to say it out loud and maybe you have some insight into it. Let's try it. Um, which is I'm just thinking about this this line that I keep hearing is like this is to protect the children. Like we hear that so we hear that's their only argument is to protect the children. But children are being killed in masses in mass or however you say that in schools by guns. Right. So is there, have there been studies or what do you know of the, like, there's like, so there's, it's clearly not about the children, but like, what is it that people still are buying into the narrative? It's for the children when very, it's very blaringly obvious, not. Right. This is uh, <laughs> a favorite of, of mine, actually. Okay, I, my Instagram bio used to be just Anita Bryant's worst nightmare. Um, because that is how I identify and how who I want to be. If you don't know, Anita Bryant is like a famous um, homophobe um, who campaigned around the country trying to get schools to fire gay teachers and pass bills um, that would just uh, encourage discrimination or require mandate discrimination against LGBT people. Um, and all in the name of kids. Her whole slogan was save the children. Um, That is all that they talked about. And I think what it essentially comes down to is 
kids as an idea, not as, as real people, but as an idea are the ultimate foil or are, are the ultimate um, balance to a, a fake boogeyman that you're, that you're trying to create. Right. And so again, using the historical context here in the seventies and eighties, that was just gays, right. Gays and lesbians, but um, attacking gays, um, whipping up fear about who they were and connecting to this um, myth around pedophilia. And in order to heighten the threat, the imaginary threat that they posed, I think that they wanted to draw that connection to what what people can traditionally think of as being the most vulnerable people in in society are are kids or at least the ones that we have the strongest um sort of desire or instinct to protect right um because they the kids in this in this um in this sick little uh, play that they're creating represent innocence and LGBT people are not innocent. We're the guilty ones. We are the sinful ones. We are et cetera, et cetera. And so they have this, they're trying to call upon the masses to do their duty in protecting the innocent youth from us. Um, and so again, it just plays into this demonization um, where people have really strong reactions to the idea that somebody would um negatively affect kids and they're just trying to pull at their um it's it's like formulaic and they're trying to get them into as much have as strong of an emotional response as possible because uh like i said before the angrier um the more upset the more hateful somebody's feeling the easier it is to direct that into um action that you can control like donating or voting or um storming a building or something yeah okay well I'm glad I asked because I was uh <laughs> I was uh yeah yeah and I mean to your point um or I, I guess for, for greater emphasis it is important to note that when you talk to kids like they're human beings and you ask kids what what they want um, or have any kind of substantive interaction with students, for example, which are at the core of a lot of anti-LGBT legislation right now, it couldn't be farther from what um, the, they would have you believe is uh, is the actual threat to them, right? Like they want access to books. They want to be treated with respect in school and respect their peers in school. Um, and so it's, it's definitely not, um, the Republicans in, in general and the, the, the extremists that we're talking about here are not working to create a future that the youth actually want. Um, they're just doing really awful things in their name because, they find it to be more effective uh, than saying the honest truth, which is that I I don't like you. I I want things to be this way. My religion compels me to feel or want this, uh, and so I am going to legislate according to that. 
um, because that does not win you votes in the same way that they're coming for your children and I'm going to, I'm going to do this to protect your kids that um, unfortunately can win you votes in some places. So how do we coordinate to fight all of these unfounded, dangerous, terrible talking points and bills and legislation? So you, so first, so, so a, how do we coordinate? And two, I'm going to back up and say, Tell tell us what oath.vote is, because I think that is like a key way. But I want to hear from you. Like, how did you think of it? What is it? And how do we how do we get involved? Absolutely. I will I will start there. Um, so in between Lambda Legal, which we talked about earlier, and now I worked on a lot of campaigns, uh, especially after Donald Trump was elected. I said, I want to use the skills that I have to elect people who are going to push back against that um, and who are going to represent the needs of a more diverse and inclusive society. And so I went as a staffer and consultant, worked on a bunch of races, primarily doing finance and campaign management. And in doing that, I saw this massive wave of people participating in politics really for the first time um, who hadn't been politically active before 2016. And one way that they were doing that was by giving money. But unfortunately, a lot of that money was going to places that they could find on Twitter or that they were seeing ads to uh, from or going to candidates who were showing ads on, on uh, their TV or social media. And those were oftentimes not the places where we really needed that help. In in 2020, there were two U.S. Senate races that each raised over $100 million and lost by more than 10 points. So not even close. If we had redirected 8% of that total funding to state legislative races, we could have closed the funding gap between Democrats and Republicans in six of the closest state legislative chambers like that. Um, and so that is what I saw and felt compelled to do something about. I created Oath as a response. Uh, it's a free political advising platform where anybody can really easily find some candidates who align with your values and your goals, whether that's uh, protecting abortion access or fighting for LGBT equality or passing gun safety legislation or a million other issues. Let us know what your issues are. Let us know what, if you if you have a geographic focus, if you're trying to make change in a specific state, um, and we'll tell you what candidates need your help the most to make that happen. That's the very simple principle behind it. And we do that across a few different, um, we have a newsletter, we have an online platform, we do social media, trying to get the word out um, so that people can find meaningful ways to engage in particular in state and local elections because um, equality advocates and Democrats in general tend to uh, have a, they're predisposed to want federal solutions. Um, it's a little bit more efficient to pass one, one bill in Congress that can do a lot rather than uh, individual bills across the states. But the way that our system is set up means that oftentimes the change that you need to make is really down the street in your city council or in your local school board or in your state house. 
Congress cannot do everything. And so we have to arm people with information as to where they can really make a difference in those other um, chambers of power so that they have a voice at every level of government, not just in who's in the White House. That's incredible. So so how long has Oath existed and what, what kinds of um, successes have you seen? We launched in 2022 our first national platform that would um, look at the most important and underfunded races all across the United States. And in our first six months, we directed over 75,000 individual donations, um, totaling more than $2 million. And I think what really shows the the impact of that, it might not to some people uh, sound like a lot of money in today's world of politics, where you hear about millions of dollars flying all over the place. But when you look at these more local races, that's a lot of money. There were some candidates in Arizona, I'm thinking of, of one district in particular, that was one of the two most competitive seats in the whole chamber, um, played a role in, in determining who controls the Arizona House of Representatives. And before we like made the recommendation that this was a, a race worth funding, the candidate had about 300 individual donors to their campaign. And then two days after we had made a recommendation, they had about 1,500 individual donors to their campaign. And so the power, again, behind that coordination is that if we're pouring all of our resources into like a couple of competitive Senate races, it's not going to get us very far. But if we coordinate that at a local level and really focus on the swing seats all over, that can make a huge difference. Um, And these are races where you're really just trying to raise enough money to like send out a mailer or two to everyone in the district so they see your name before um, the election. And now with digital, right, you can you can run really compelling and um, and targeted digital ads to to your young voters and um, other like low propensity voters in your in your district to turn them out. But you need money to do that. And so that's what we were doing in 2022 was saying, let's get you to like this minimum viable threshold so that you actually have the funds to run a really competitive campaign when it matters most. That's so incredible. It's amazing. It's all about being really strategic. One seat at a time flips one chamber at a time flips one state at a time. And so that's the other component here. And I won't get on my soapbox, but we need more people thinking and talking about 2032, not just 2024. And that's what we're thinking about is, okay, if we want to flip the North Carolina, to flip North Carolina, if we want to turn North Carolina blue, we have to sort of work backwards and say, um, what are the most winnable seats this time, next time, the following time, uh, so that we can get to a point where by 2030, we actually are within a a few seat margins of flipping those chambers and getting a trifecta in North Carolina so that we can pass legislation to safeguard uh, the right to choose and the right to healthcare that you need and the right for students to fully participate in school in a healthy way. Um, And we can do that in North Carolina and in Iowa and Kansas and in all of these places, but we have to be looking long-term and investing strategically now. It's really a long game. 
it's a long game. It it is only the long game, right? Yeah. Um it's even even when I'm thinking about these like emergency actions that we're taking right now to counter bills that are being put forth, it's still about there there are two goals and there are two ways that I think about that. Can we stop this bill? Do we have the power? Can we apply enough pressure? Can we find moderate Republican? It depends on the state, but like either the Democrats have the votes or we need some help. Can we find moderate Republicans? Are there um, Republicans with LGBT kids or or, or something that you can appeal to, right? Um, Can we stop this from happening? And then the second question is, if we can't, how do we wage this fight on our terms to grow our coalition? How do we grow the number of people with us so that the next time this comes around, the next time they try to uh, introduce this bill or a different bill, or if this bill expires, um, the next time we we have this fight, there are more people on our side. And that is the long-term building that has to happen where even fights that we know we're going to lose are still worth having if you're building towards a future win. And no, we can't give up on anywhere, right? We're not leaving trans people to fend for themselves because they have a Republican state legislature. That's not an option. Um, It just means that we have to be thinking really strategically about how we ultimately win that fight. Yeah. I think there there might be a lot of people who don't realize the like long gameness of it all. And because I think because everything feels urgent, everything feels, this is all we're being bombarded with something new, more than one thing, not even just around LGBTQ pledges, anti-LGBTQ legislation, but just the violence against the black community and, you know, the right to choose and you know all, all of these it's just it's all happening every second and so I think it can feel hard to to think about long term um and so I think it's helpful to to hear you like break it down as to the why and because it's we need we need like we said we're talking about earlier we need all hands on deck only forever <laughs> like it's just like to keep keep doing it exactly um, and I, I think that that's an important mentality switch, right? It's not, okay, I'm going to do everything I can every minute and see how long I can keep that up for. It's like first committing to, oh, I'm going to be in this fight for as long as it takes because this is something that I believe in and that I'm committed to and that I believe like LGBT people should be able to live full, happy, healthy lives. If you're at in that place and that's how you're approaching it and you're committed to it at that level, then the question is, okay, how do I do this in a sustainable way? How do I both take care of myself and contribute to the movement so that we have one more person who's on our team uh, fighting for trans kids? Yeah. I just, I don't know why sports metaphors just came into my head, but whatever, <laughs> I'm not an athlete. But I know, you know, a basketball team, there are five people on the court but you have however many people on the bench because you have to rotate people out because the people who are the starters are tired. And so in order to, to win, you know, you gotta, you gotta have the support behind the scenes as well. Um, So how, so how do we stop doom scrolling and how do we remain optimistic 
and especially in these really scary times. I have a few tips on that very question. Um, the first is acknowledging what it really is. Uh, doom scrolling is terrible for your mental health and is a very addictive thing to just look for bad news online um, or hot takes online, if we want to frame it that way, and just have that emotional sort of like rush from it of like of anger, of sadness, of something like that can actually be a negative loop that you spiral that that you get into. Um, so acknowledging that, looking for more positive ways to consume media. I always tell people not to watch television news. Um, I think that you can have a really healthy media diet without a single minute of TV news at all. I read probably 95% of my news. I consume a couple podcasts if I'm specifically doing something that will allow me to listen. But um, mostly I'm reading because the editing process is different. Uh, there's less filler. Filler tends to be opinion and um, if you're on a, if you're on like a, a newsletter, something like an Axios, they have less incentive to try to outrage you. Um, it is a little bit more fact-based if you're finding the right ones. Other tips I would say are to focus on specific, a specific issue or a specific place. Uh, if that's where you live or that's where you're from, you and I both live in New York, but we're both from Ohio. So focusing on Ohio might make sense for us rather than trying to have a reaction or response every time a new bill comes from somewhere, which again, is not act actually sustainable for most people who are doing other things uh, with their lives and, and trying to keep a balanced life and, and happy attitude. Um we can we can focus on Ohio, right? We can sign up for the Columbus Dispatch and the Cincinnati Enquirer. We can follow the news there. We can add three or four legislators' numbers to our phone and make a call when I see something that I um that I want to respond to. I should also uh say that following like a state-based organization like Equality Ohio, Equality Texas, um, the Tennessee Equality Project any kind of state-based group are also great ways to stay up on like the most pressing bills. They're going to be like, Hey, they're having a hearing on this in this committee. Like, can you show up? Do you live here? Can you make a call? Um, can you call your family? Can you friends, whatever. Um, and then I would also say doing something uh, is, is, is the bottom line. And maybe I should even have started with it, but the antidote to doom scrolling is to stop doom scrolling and to start doing something. You do not have to cure all of the world's ills today. You don't, or ever. But by doing something, by exercising the power that you have, you are acknowledging that you are not powerless, that you do have a voice, that you can make a phone call, send a text, an email, a postcard, to call a friend, to vote, to donate, to volunteer, to join an organization, to build a coalition, to post online. You have so many ways that you can make a difference. And even contributing a little bit is going to make you feel better. That is a positive feedback loop where the more you do, the better you are going to feel and the more you're going to want to do. 
Um, and that's a much, much healthier and better place to be in when you're looking for opportunities to help people and improve our country um, rather than looking for um, things to be upset or outraged about. Yeah. So do something. So what do something? What advice do you have for the people who feel um, like frozen? Just like it's so overwhelming, especially I mean, I would say for like for the trans community, like it just it is so personal and it feels like I, I'll speak personally. Sometimes I just feel like I can barely get out of bed, let alone how am I supposed to like do something? So like, do you have advice for how to actually take that first stab at it? Absolutely. I think if you can find a friend to sort of make some kind of pact with or uh, to take an an initial step with, that can be really helpful, right? Especially, let's say you've never called a representative or, or, uh, or a legislator before, text one friend and be like, hey, I've been feeling pretty upset about this thing, about what's happening on this issue what do you think about us getting together and making a phone call? And that can literally be it, right? Just that one phone call. But if you do it together and support each other with a script provided by um, Call 5 or or some other organization um, and have that support system, I think that that can be really helpful to getting over the initial hump. And like I said, I think that you'll find it's easier than you expect. um, And you'll, you'll want to do more of that. I think that What's really commonplace and popular right now is a self-care um, narrative to that, which is super important and has its place. But well, at the end of the day, a majority of self-care is really like checking out, right? And it's like, okay, I'm going to take time off and, and away from thinking about this. And I think that there's also utility and importance in leaning in and finding a way to to do the thing in a more healthy way. And so that can be like making a phone call and taking some kind of action. I also talk a lot about celebrating the wins um, because it's something that we, especially in an algorithm driven world have been trained to gloss over and paper over immediately is like onto the next thing, whatever that happened. And I'm like, no, we're gonna stop. We're gonna dance. We're gonna mm-hmm. celebrate so much great stuff has happened. I mean, I'll, I'll talk specifically since the November election, we flipped uh, the Minnesota Senate, giving Democrats a trifecta in Minnesota. We flipped uh, both chambers in Michigan, giving us a trifecta there. And in both states, we've seen an- like pro-LGBT legislation passed. We've seen anti-discrimination bills get passed and signed into law. We've seen uh, gun safety legislation get signed into law. We've seen abortion bans repealed. We've seen reproductive rights codified, like massive change for millions and millions of people. That is a huge victory. And just because it didn't happen in Congress doesn't mean that it's not a huge victory. And so that is the third component, the third leg to the stool, along with self-care and doing something, is to actually acknowledge and celebrate when it goes right and when we're making progress. Because if you're not ever letting yourself be uplifted by that, all you can ever do is be set back from where you are right now. So you have to find that energy in those wins to to drive forward. I love that so much. That's so helpful to hear all of that. And I love I love that on on Instagram when you dance. 
It's like when you <laughs> dance, it's like, okay, something good happened. This is great. <laughs> exactly. We're trying to bring some of the joy back because there is a way to be joyful in politics. It is still possible. Um, yeah, it is. Because and you and you show us that, which is amazing. Um would you, I don't know if, if you have them off the top of your head or if you want to give them to me later that I can post um, some of the, some of the sources that you use to get your news. Cause I think there, there can be confusion on like, what is a legitimate source? I know a lot of people still look to the New York times, the New York times, the way that they report on trans issues is extremely lopsided and dangerous and untrue and unfounded. And so, yeah. you know, we all, we don't, so, so I think a lot of us are at a loss. So where should we get our news? And we thought it was the New York Times. Yes, I would say um, diversifying, finding finding out a few sources of written news online, or I guess a paper if you're old school, if they still do that, um, is is sort of the the top line important thing. So that even if there are some things that I previously really relied on the New York Times for, right? And if I was only reading news from the Times and then they started spewing all this horrible stuff and bad perspectives and myths about trans people, then like that's my only source of information. That's a problem. Uh, no news outlet is infallible. So I think diversifying is important, but I would say Axios, Politico, Punchbowl, your local... Um, any of your your local newspapers um follow an lgbt national organization if you're particularly interest, interested around this issue like a glad a lambda legal an hrc uh um transgender law center th there are many to choose from um and so i would say complementing national media with local media and with activists and advocates um, should give you a broad range of the things that you should be watching and opportunities to take action um, as well. Amazing. Thank you. Time always flies so quickly on these interviews. Um, so I have to bring us into our, our last section, which is the lightning round, um, which is meant to be for fun. And it's actually mostly not either or questions because I was told those were too binary. So they're all mostly <laughs> open-ended Okay. Um, but answer as quickly as you can. Um, all the fun. <laughs> okay, great. I'm ready. So, what is the name of your superhero alter ego? Jerry Mander. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. I feel like that could also be your drag name. That is my um, drag name. <laughs> okay, beautiful. But I'm, but I'm using it. I'm using it. I'm a super, I'm a superhero drag queen. So Perfect. Um, where is your favorite place to think? The gym. Hmm. Who is an influential queer person in your life? Currently. Any, any, any. Wow, there's so many. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm, I'm going to say Larry Kramer. Um, may he rest in peace. I, I, he just keeps coming up for me. I'm like thinking of other people and I continually am coming back to Larry Kramer. I think that he's one of the greatest inspirations for my entire life. So. Okay. Larry Kramer. Powerful one. Powerful. Yeah. What's a song that you can listen to on repeat forever? Oh my God. Wow. Um, Automatic by Lake Street Dive. Ooh. Yeah. Good one. So good. 
Um, okay, I'm still figuring out how to ask this one so you can help me. A lot of states have proposed don't say gay bills. How do you say gay? Girl. <laughs> with a with a hand. With okay. the hand. <laughs> Beautiful. <Girl. laughs> um, where do you find joy? In dancing. I'm uh I have always found joy in dancing and truly when I can convince myself if I'm having a really rough day, I will be alone in my apartment and put music on as loud as possible and dance until I make myself feel better. I love that. And the only either or that I could not get rid of, which is bagels or donuts. Bagels. Yeah, that's the correct answer. No no question. (laughs) No question. (laughs) Uh, Even though I did have two Peter Pan donuts yesterday. Yes, you heard me correct, too. What's what's a Peter Pan donut? Oh, my God. Okay, so they're in Greenpoint, and they're just really freaking good donuts. Okay. Cash only. Oh, Um, that's how you know it's real. That's how you know it's real. Uh, (laughs) It's it's always a line, always packed, and it's there. I got the last glazed, and I was so thrilled. (laughs) Okay, I'm on my way. Yeah, seriously. Brian, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your wisdom and your joy and your stories and, and for helping, you know, the thousands and thousands and thousands of followers, um, helping us understand what's happening and also giving us the tools to coordinate so we can fight back. Absolutely. Thank you for chatting with me. Um, it's an honor to, to share my coming out story. Um, I'm grateful to be part of this community and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out.